My name is Adam Martin. I am the founder of FI Project. I'm a five-time felon and I know what it feels like to be released from jail or a treatment center or a detox or a homeless shelter into nothing. And so the idea was like, could we do a better job by providing services in an F5 fa fashion, which was the function key on a keyboard, which was like refresh. So like every time we met someone, what would it look like if we treated them like none of that existed? So F5 Project is a nonprofit organization. We help people who have uh, addiction issues, homelessness, mental health, and ultimately try and give them a chance to change. I had seen some trends happening with peer support where people with like real lived experience, they were going back to where they came from and they were helping people out of those situations. There's no better way to get over the stuff that happened to you in your past than to go and help people who are currently experiencing it. Introduce myself like that because I'm a big 12-step programmer and um, that's just how I choose to make my identity everywhere. I feel like I actually do that in a lot of places of my life, even in my personal life I do that um, because I'm like really proud to be an addict actually. I really, really am because I know what it took to get here, you know? Um, I do not know what I'm gonna talk about, how I'm gonna talk about it, we're gonna wing it. I feel like every time I've shared my story, I'll start from like the very beginning and then I get really lost in it because I haven't done trauma therapy yet. <laughs> so it's like I start to like process it as I'm talking about it. So I'm not gonna do a lot of that today and I might be here, I might be there. Um, we're just going to see what comes to mind. Um, just a little brief part of my background story. It has a lot to do with like every level of different abuses, right? Um, it has a lot to do with uh, foster care. That was a huge part of it. Um, you know, I started using when I was 12. Uh, it slowly got worse over the years. You know, I went from uh, I went from alcohol, and then it went to just your regular old basic opiates and then eventually it transitioned into the harder drugs and not only was it just being used this way then we got into the the other objects right that that really really intensified it um and so i use i think i it was 24 when i got sober clean oh sober clean um just kidding uh, <laughs> but that's cool to think about because that means like half my life i used and half my life at that point, almost, I hadn't, you know? So now I get to stand here and say that I've been clean more than I've been using, and that's a really cool thing to say. Um, I remember back when I was younger, I was always really big on saying that I wasn't gonna be like my mom or my parents or anybody that had used. I focused on it so much that like that's exactly what I had done, you know? Um, I had my kids taken into foster care when, let's see, I had two kids at the time. They were five and 10 months old. Um, I was just talking about this the other day too, um, that at one point in time, like I had gotten to this point where like I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. The night before I had brought my kids into an apartment building um, and I made them like a little bed um, up at the top of the stairs and just stayed there all night so that they could sleep because we didn't have anywhere to go. You know, the next day um, when they woke up, this was over in Moorhead too, we went over by, it was the bowl, or there's like a, there's like a little circle set of trees right there in front of that old motel. And I remember sitting there for a few hours, letting my five-year-old play. Like, he had no idea what was going on. That's a crazy part of it, you know? My 10-month-old baby's just here in his car seat, smiling, like, has no idea either, you know, but looking at me with all this love. And, um... I remember sitting there thinking like I had nowhere to go still. I was so lost, so broken, so just just lost. That's really the only word that it comes to. It was really heavy. Um, 
I ended up walking over to the bowler, um, and I called social services on myself, and I said, I need to talk to somebody. I don't have anywhere to go tonight, and I don't have anywhere to keep my kids safe. Um, and they didn't do anything. That was, that was the weird part. You know, I was, like, opening up to them, telling them, like, I needed help. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and nobody would help, and that's just something that today I really try to find ways um, to help other moms with because it's something I see all the time. But anyway, you know, a couple weeks down the road, <laughs> a couple weeks down the road is when they actually came in and, and took my kids. Um, things got a lot worse in my addiction uh, because, you know, when you're a mom and or a, pa a parent at all, sorry, a parent at all, and you get your kids taken away from you, that's like the one thing that keeps you from completely letting go you know and so when they took my babies that's I let loose you know I went crazy I was it was it was it was tough um but I man I really think I would have stayed there for a long time I you know how people always tell you like when it comes to finding recovery and this is just my own personal um view on this so you know take your own as you will but everyone always says too like when you're getting clean or when you're getting sober to do it for yourself everybody always says that you know like do it for yourself you have to think about yourself first and i do believe that um but like at that time like i didn't love myself i didn't care about myself at all like i hated myself i didn't want anything to do with self um you know then they talk about people are like well do it for your kids like that's what social services would always hound into me like do it for your kids do it for your kids um, and I was like, why? My kids are so much better off without me because I did not like myself. Um, and also at the same time, you know, a little bit of rewind. When I was in foster care, I was in foster care from birth um, up until eight years old. And there came a time where I was asked to be adopted, like somebody asked to adopt me. Some <laughs> Social services had asked the foster family I was with to adopt me. There we go. Um, and she said yes. It was really cool. It was the longest home that I had been in. I had been in her care for three years. Um, and ICW ended up stepping in um, after all that time. And they were like, no, she's white. She can't take this kid. Um, and that was heartbreaking because she was all that I really knew. And I was ripped from her. Um, and I went back to my, I met my dad. Actually, I didn't even know him. I remember when I first met him, I didn't know what to call him dad or Frank or hey. Or like, I had no idea what to call him, you know. So when it came to that point in my life with my kids, um, I thought about that. And I thought about how rough my life was and how I didn't want my kids to go through what I went through. Because I'm like, man, if I would have had a decision at eight years old, I would have stayed in the home that I was in. And in my head, I really thought that that would have been my life-saving moment. Like, I never would have went through the rest of the trauma that I went through. Because even though up to eight, I had been through a lot. But then, you know, it, it, there was a whole bunch more that came after that. Um, so that's what I thought about. And they were like, do it for your kids. And I was like, I don't want to do it for my kids. They're, like, they're good where they're at. <laughs> they're stable. They're together. Um, and so for a while, that's just I just kept using I had no reason to, to not. Um, and CPS. <laughs> CPS didn't, um, didn't do a lot of follow-up on me, too. You know, this is something that's in my life goals to, to try to help, too. But um, nobody did anything to help me. Uh, I was kind of by myself. I had no idea what to do, how to do it, where to go. I remember, like, they were still letting me see my kids weekly, weekly, right? And I was still high showing up to see my kids. And one day I told the social worker, I was like, why aren't you guys helping me? And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you guys never UA me. I said, why don't you guys UA me? And if I don't pass, don't let me see my kids. She was like, are you still using? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I'm still using. She's like, really? I was like, yeah, like, look at me. You know, I was like 110 pounds. Um, <laughs> and uh, she, she said, wow, I've never had anybody uh, tell me to do that before. And I was like, well, so she said, all right, well, next Thursday, come in and we'll UA you. I was like, all right. Gave me motivation to stay clean. Because even though I thought my kids were better off without me, I still love my kids and I still wanted to see them. So that happened. I don't think they gave me UA again for like six months, but whatever. Um, what finally ended up happening for me, I couldn't do, my, do it for myself. I couldn't do it for my kids. Um, I had gotten in um, some trouble with the law. <laughs> uh, I ended up getting, I was, I was doing the ride or die thing for my man. You know, like he was like, babe, drive the car. And I was like, okay. And he's like, it's stolen. I'm like, it's fine. Um, and so I drove the car. <laughs> and uh, we ended up going to this house. We were going to pack our bags and we were going to leave forever. We were going to move to Duluth and, and things were going to be great. You know, like we were going to live this best life together. Um, and then the girl he cheated on me with that I just beat up the week prior came out with the baseball bat. She came to the car, like smashed out the windows and I tried to run her over. At the end of it, um, <laughs> I went to jail. <laughs> I went to jail, and so this had happened in Minnesota. I went to jail over in North Dakota, and I had some warrants over there. I had to sit out, um, but it was fine. I was fine. I remember, I think, being in jail for, like, the first week. I was like, I'm good, man. I'm safe here. Like, I knew that because even in active addiction, I knew I was an addict. I knew I had a problem. Um, so when I got there, I knew I was safe, and I was doing a hard time. Like, I don't have family. Like, I have family, but I don't have family, you know? So nobody was calling me. Nobody was coming to see me. Um, nobody was putting any money on my books. I had nothing. I had to, like, I was the one who was leeching off everybody else, like, trying to be friends. Like, can I get some of your Reese's? Can I get some of your coffee? Like, oh, my gosh, it was terrible. But it was fine because I was learning, you know. Um, I started going to the groups that they had there. The groups were really, really beneficial. I, I really like Cass County and the programming that they have there. Um, too bad F5 wasn't a thing because I didn't get to go to any of those meetings. It wasn't, it wasn't up and running yet. <laughs> so I was there for a while. Then I got um, extradited over to Minnesota. And over there I had to sit a hell of a lot longer. Well, I didn't. You guys, I was there on a $200 bail. $200. I'm, I'm native, man. I get per cap, and they wouldn't let me in my bank to get it. <laughs> so I was just sitting there hanging out. Um, but again, I had came to terms with that because I knew I was okay. I knew I was safe. I was like, you know, at that point in time, um, I really looked into, like, the Christianity part um, at that time. And so things were things were doing good. Things were getting better for me. I ended up getting farmed out to Douglas Douglas uh, Douglas County, is it in Alexandria? I was there for a while, and um, that's when I had gotten news that my best friend. Uh, I called her my sister. My she was like literally my everything. Like I, I sometimes I think it sounds weird because. Um, She's literally was like a soulmate. Like she knew me so well, and not in a romantic way. Like this, this woman knew me um, from the time I was 12 years old. She had my back through everything. You know, my mom um, has like I've said, she was she was really abusive, and uh, my sister Lila was the only one that ever stuck up for me and like stood up against my mom, which is crazy because my mom's psycho. Uh, but it was cool. Like she was always my person. She understood me inside and out. Um, but yeah, I got the call when I was in there uh, that she had passed away. And that was terrible. That was that was really rough. Um, I remember it was like just out of a movie too, um, the whole, how it had all happened, how it all planned out or played out. And I didn't have all the facts at first. I didn't know what had happened to her. You know, she, my sister was only 23, um, when she passed. So at that point I was like, I can't stay here. I can't stay here anymore. Um, I knew my stepdad would bail me. It was only $200. <laughs> it was only $200. I knew my stepdad would bail me out. I just didn't want to call him because 
It just, I was good where I was at. Uh, but I called him. He posted it. I remember sitting there in Alexandria for a while, and they were like, well, if you stay the night here, like, we can have a sheriff come get you and bring you back home tomorrow. Like, mm, no. <laughs> no, I'm not staying in jail any longer. So I was calling around, trying to get all these people to come get me. Like, and I knew, like, even at that moment, even though I was broken, even though I was, like, just shattered, I knew I did not want to use. I did not want to get out and use. That is one thing that I knew. So I was really trying to find a safe route home. I was trying to call different people to get me out. Um, nobody would come. Like, Alexandria is, like, a little bit further away, and I didn't have a very good support system. Um, but I knew my mom would come get me. I knew she would come get me. But I knew that if I was with my mom longer than an hour that I would end up using. Um, but I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I still hadn't found a ride. And I had learned this stuff at like 5 p.m. So finally I called my mom. And she came. And I relapsed <laughs> right away, right when we got home. And the cycle went again. Um, but at some point in time, again, that question, do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. My sister begged and pleaded for me to get clean. Um, when I was out there using, uh, she like begged and pleaded all the time. I remember that. Um, and I remember I was angry at her for doing that. I was so angry at her for caring. She was the only person that ever showed that she cared. And for some reason, man, I was so angry every time she would tell me. I would always tell, reply with things like, well, why should I? Why should I do good things? Why should I do better? Like, nobody cares about me. Like, I'm tired of being strong. You know, I, I had to raise my kids alone. Um, I had to raise myself alone. I was like, why? Why should I have to do that anymore? You know? she would still cry and she would still plead and um I never listened to her so also using right we used to get rid of the pain but for <laughs> that did not work anymore after losing my sister I remember I would stare at walls for like the longest time for hours I would stare at just blank walls and like I'd be crying like not like ugly crying but like tears just would not stop coming down my face it was constantly like that for hours I was like all right well I'll try to sober up I'll try to sober up and I'd stay sober for about three, four days, and then go through it again, go through it again. Um, so my sister had died by suicide, and that was different. That hit different than other deaths. Um, there's something about suicide. It's a whole other category, um, a whole lot more anger that comes with that one. You know, I was, I was so mad at her. I probably look crazy. I'd be in the stores, too, and just start screaming at her. I'd be so angry at her. I'd be talking all this crap to her. Um, people look at me like, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> literally talking to my sister right now um and then I would cry and then I would beg and then I would plead you know it was a it was a never-ending cycle um a year before my sister had took her life I had actually had an act like a like a full complete suicide attempt myself and I should not have woken up from that um I had taken about 75 850 milligram muscle relaxers um that's when I stopped counting you know and, and I had a set, like, I was giving up. That was what I was going to do. I had wrote and written my letters out. You know, I had one towards my mom. I had one for my brothers. I had ones for my kids, you know, like, like that's kind of shitty to think about now, you know, those things that I was saying and how hard that would have been on them. Um, and the longest one I had was for my sister. It was four pages front and back telling her how much I loved her, telling her how much, how thankful I was for her. And at the end of it, I wrote in there, you're my sister. I'm your bigger sister, so please learn from my mistakes and don't be like me. Um, and I never gave her that. And that you always find guilt when somebody dies. You always blame yourself. But that one, I it was hard to not blame myself for that. Um, so you know, she had passed away by suicide. And it was this one moment. It was the moment where I was sitting there one day, still doing the thing, staring at the walls, getting sober for three days, and then getting high and staring at the walls again. 
um, I was feeling super hopeless again. I was super complacent with the despair that I was in at that time. Um, and it popped into my head. I was like, just take your own life. And right away, I just, oh, I, sh- I had to shake because it just, it was so, such a powerful feeling. And I remember the first time I, well, the day I got out of jail, I went to go see my sister's mom. And my nephew had came running out. He was about four, four or five at the time. And uh, he seen my face and he says, T, 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 T. And he looks in the car and he's like, is my mom in there? And it was that face. That thought hit my mind. Just take, just take your life out. Like, just, just be done. His face hit my mind and I imagine that same face on my kids <sighs> I'm getting chills just thinking about that that was that was that was rough um so I hopped on the phone with my social worker and I was like I'm ready to go to treatment she was like okay well that's good and I was like yeah so when are we going <laughs> she's like Kathy doesn't work like that and I was like why not like take me to treatment um <laughs> And it's funny working in this position now. It does not work like that. Uh, but luckily, it was in Minnesota. Like, I got to do this, like, cool thing called a Rule 28. And I went in there. Um, and within a week, they let me go um, to treatment. But rewind, by the way. that All of that moment with that thought, and that was my sister, though. That, that was energy that came from my sister. That's why I got clean. That's why I did it, you know. So if you can't do it for yourself and you can't do it for your kids or anybody else, Find something. Who cares what it is? Don't let anybody tell you to pick something else. If it's motivating for you, choose that. If it's your cat, for all I care, you know, do it for what motivates you. Don't let anyone else tell you anything different. Um, but anyway, so it was about a week later I had gotten into treatment. Um, it was funny because um, <laughs> Friday, so my sister's birthday is June 10th, um, and I was due to be to treatment on June 13th, Monday. Her, her birthday was on a Friday, you know. I was like, it's going to be her birthday present. I'm going to get clean on June 10th. No, I was an active addiction. I need to get high one more time and have the best weekend of my life. Um, I didn't, but I did get high. <laughs> Monday morning came and off I went. June thirteenth. That's my so that's my that's my clean day. June thirteenth of two thousand sixteen. I've been clean ever since. Um, I went up to East Grand Forks Douglas Place. I did the inpatient treatment program there, and I listened. It was really hard because walking into those doors, man, I thought I knew everything. You know, having a mom that was an active addiction. Um, I had to go to like treatment programming with her because like I was in foster care from you know newborn to eight, but there was periods of time where I could go into like treatment centers with her or homeless shelters. Sometimes they would let me go, so like it was patchy. There were still times where I was with my mom, and I. But even as a teenager, I was in um, treatment centers with her as a teenager. So I had knew all of these things that they would say Al Anon, all these other different things. So when they would try to give me these tools, I was like. I'm just here for sobriety time, and that's all I'm here for. I just can't do it on my own out there. Like, mm, no, I don't need to do it that way. Like, I'm going to do it this way. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> you guys, it was, whew. I thought I knew everything. It wasn't until, and I've told this story before. Some of you guys have probably heard this. It wasn't until <laughs> this new girl came in. Um, this new girl came in, and I remember she irritated the hell out of me, man. Like, everything she did, like, her mannerisms, the way she spoke, the way she, like, her attitude, the way she, like, thought she was the shit, you know? Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> one day I was sitting there in class, um, or in one of, our, one of our groups, and it was one of the indigenous groups, which is probably why I got so salty at her, you know? Um, like, how dare you come in here and, like, try to push this indigenous counselor, like, who are you? And whatever. Um, and, but she had said something, and I don't remember what it was, but she had said something, and it was the exact words that I had used in a different situation. And when she did it, I was like, oh my God. I was like, that's me. 
that's why I don't like her. And it was funny because there was a girl in, in the background. She must have been watching my face the entire time. She started laughing as soon as like my face hit. And I had this whole realization. I was like, oh, my God, that's what I sound like. Um, so it was from that moment where I started to shut up. I started to listen because obviously I didn't know anything. If you think about it, you know, I'm 24 years old. My kids are in foster care. I don't have any support systems, no family, no, no kids, dads to help me. I don't have anything. All I have is like a caseload of charges, you know, a whole neglect record over here for my kids. I didn't have nothing. So I shut up and I started listening to these groups. And even though like some things I really disagreed with, but I made it a point to do it anyway, to do it anyway, because the worst that's going to happen is you're just not going to like it um, or you're not going to relate to it. And then it's a lesson learned. That's what happens. That didn't work for you. But the best thing that can happen is that it worked. <laughs> you know, another story that I tell often was there was this girl. Um, I have till, till three, right? Okay. There was this girl there, um, and she was so irritated with me. She was an older girl. And uh, when I first came in, like, I was, like, on a permaflail for, like, a solid month, dude. Like, I could not chill out. Like, I was all over the place. Um, and this girl gets so irritated with me, you know. She was like, just slow down. Just sit down. I was like, I can't. Like, why don't you just, like, speed up? You know, like, I got energy and <laughs> she, oh, she she got so irritated with me, but she was she was more patient than I had expected. And one day, she said, "Hold my hand." I said, "Why? <laughs> Why would I do that?" She's like, "We're gonna go for a, a walk around the treatment center." And it was one of the old ones, you know, like a motel. It's got the upstairs and the downstairs. She's like, "We're gonna walk around, and you're gonna hold my hand, and you're gonna do it at my pace." I was like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> And then someone said, I thought that you were always going to do something that people told you when they told you to do it. And I was like, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay. So I did. I held her hand, and it was so weird because I kept walking really fast, and she yanked me back, and I was like, oh, my God. And I was, like, trying to, like, talk and do this, and she's like, shh, don't talk to you there. And I was like, oh, that was awful. Um, but about halfway through, I started to feel a little bit more calm. <laughs> my, my mind, it didn't stop racing, but it slowed down to a point where like, I noticed it. Um, and by the end of it, I was like, oh, kind of took a breath, and I was like, that was cool. <laughs> I probably sped off you know, later, whatever. Um, but it was a really cool learning experience for me because it taught me how to slow down a little bit. You know, It taught me that even though as irritated as I was at that girl, and I did not want to do that, um, I did it, and I got something from it. <laughs> you know. Uh, the other really cool part about being there, too, is I got really into my culture there. Um, that's another huge part of my story that I that I get into just in my own personal life. Um, growing up in foster care, I, I had no ties um, to my community. I was ripped away from it. You know, I, I had no idea. Um, I had an identity crisis, you know. I had, that was tough. <laughs> We'll just say that I'm not going to get too much into it, but um, going into treatment and, and learning all these things about myself, it was really cool. It was really empowering. Um, I tried to do my best to um, get into communities and, and establish myself with Indigenous people because one thing about us Indigenous people, and I'm sure this is the same for every race, but I'm Indigenous. That's what I'm going to. That's what I'm going to touch on right now. We are hard-headed as hell, and we don't want to listen to anybody else. If your skin's lighter than ours, but I'm light, but whatever. Um, we don't want to listen to anybody else. Like we, like we're stuck in the trauma that we had put on us, you know, back in like. 
um, the days when they had had the attempted genocide. Like, we're stuck on that, you know? It's it's hard. And that's how I was, too. Like, if you look different from me and you weren't Native, like, I didn't respect you. I didn't, I didn't want to hear what you had to say. Like, maybe a little bit, but, like, not really. Like, because you don't get me. That's how I would see things, you know? It was really cool because there was a training in there. No, it wasn't a training. It was, um, I don't know what we would call it. Uh, it was called Mending Broken Hearts. It was a huge huge game changer for me we had this guy come in um, and it was a trauma-based group for indigenous people related to um, the things that we had gone through um, and he pulled out the <laughs> he pulled everything out he had us do like a trauma timeline and he made you use like the, the hard words of like what happened to you You know if you were sexually abused you think of the words that are harder to say those are the words you're using you know and he had it written out man I was bawling I was crying I remember the first day of that conference and I would see other people go through this before I had gone through it and they would come out the first day and they were exhausted <laughs> they wouldn't even eat supper with us they would eat and they would go straight to bed and I was like what are they doing in there you know <laughs> The second day, they were still a little exhausted, but you could see them just like a little bit lighter um, that they wouldn't talk to us still. And then they would go to bed. And then the third day, they came out. I remember this one girl, she went in there and she was like, she was in treatment. She was like, I'm just doing what I gotta do. I'm gonna get on, I'm gonna get high, just so you guys know, I'm not gonna fake it. I love living this life. I love, and you know, she would get super graphic about it. She came out the third day and she was ready to live a better life and be in recovery and become an LADC. I was like, what is happening in there? <laughs> like, I need to know. Um, and I went in there and I understood, you know, he, they really broke you down and then they built you back up. And that was the cool part. You had to face everything that you did and everything that you had done to you. And then you got to define what you wanted your life to be. And we did it in a really spiritual way. You know, we had the drum come in, we had songs, we had, um, a fire, we had ceremony and it was an amazing thing. So when I came back over here to this area, I was scared. I didn't want to come back because everything's here this is home you know I had to do a lot of retraining in my brain you know like we don't go to Walmart to boost like that is not our hustle shop like that is not what we do you know and it took forever to go in there and not be followed <laughs> like the secret shoppers were always on my ass but it was cool to go in there and like know that I wasn't doing anything wrong but I had to remember like that's not what that was for because I'd still be checking prices on things like checking garbage for receipts like oh my gosh that was hard or like driving down by Taco Bell, like that's where I used to meet so-and-so, like, oh, where's his car? Like, oh, yeah, that was tough too. Or even by the different houses, like that was really hard to do. Not only that, but we talk about our friends when we're using, you know, and everybody says you have to change your people, you have to change your things and your places and all that. That was really hard. You know, a lot of people always say too about friends is that like they didn't love you, they don't care about you. I think about when I was using, I loved my friends. I cared about my friends. I think that's a bullshit statement. I think that we love and care about the people we're using with. We just don't know how to show it in an effective way. And so when I got out, I still thought I kind of knew everything, you know. So I'm like, well, I can still hang around some of these people and it'll be fine as long as they don't use around me, you know. Um, that got dangerous really quick. And, um, and I realized that and so I had to pull back. And that was really hard because not only are you grieving your past life because it's so hard, you're you still grieve it. Using was fun. There was some fun parts in there. Let's not let's not lie about it, you know. Um, but those fun parts, they were just like this big, this big out of out of a whole you know container, right? So, <clears throat> um, I had to. I had to learn how to change that and love people from a distance, you know, love them from over here. And with my family, that was even the hardest because then my mom would come back around because even though my mom was so mean to me and even though she was so abusive to me and she was the only person in this world that can tear me down, literally anyone can say anything to me. It does not bother me. Um, but my mom, she's got all the power. 
so easily distracted. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, but I was still trying to hang out with her. And that got ugly really quick. That's when I realized what boundaries were. And oh my gosh, I love boundaries. Oh, you guys, if you guys haven't practiced boundaries yet, practice it. <laughs> it's like a muscle. It's really hard at first, but but keep doing it. It gets so much easier. Um, but it was hard at first, especially with my mom, because she's the most prominent person in my life. But I did it. You know, it took me actually a few years, but I did it. Um, but anyways, I, oh, let's see. Oh, I got lost there. Tangents. Um, no, I, I went to the halfway house. That was the other cool part when I was leaving uh, the inpatient treatment center. They're like, are you ready to go home? And I was like, no. I actually asked for three different extensions because <laughs> I didn't want to leave. I was so scared to leave. Um, I was so scared to leave. I did not trust myself. Um, but they were able to get me into a halfway house because I asked for it. They're like, well, don't you have a place to go back to? I'm like, yeah, I was living with one of my sisters. I called her my sister, but it was, I was not ready. So they let me go to the halfway house, and I did everything I was supposed to do there. You know, I got reacquainted, like, with the visitations with my kids. Um, I got home. I almost, actually, I almost had relapsed when I had gotten home. That was really hard. I don't even know what triggered that. I have no idea. It was just what, I don't even know what it was. I don't even think there was, like, an event that happened that triggered that. Um, but, and, and I'll touch on that one just a little bit, because uh, the way I handled it really did save my life. It was very dangerous. But, I, you know, I had called this person, and I was, well, I was looking around, searching, um, and most of the people, see, most of the people that I used with that people said didn't care about me and I asked them for drugs, they told me no. They told me no when they were still using. So <laughs> there's that too, you know. But there was one dude who did, you know. He was like, yeah, 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 I'll come over and I'll give it to you for free. He's like, just let me park my car out there. I was like, yeah, all right, cool, you know. Um, but I was an IV drug user. And so I was like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what stopped me because <laughs> I couldn't find what I needed to use. Um, and so he was on his way and I started thinking about it. And I was like, man, because there was still a little voice here, even though this one over here registered, yes, we are using, we're getting high, we don't care, we're just going to do it one time, and then we'll probably be done. Well, there was, like, still a voice over here. It was really quiet, but it got through. Somehow I heard it, and it said, well, play it out. I was like, all right, like, what do you mean play it out? You know, like, well, I'll play it out. You haven't been high in how long? You know, you're going to get high, and then all of a sudden you're going to start, like, sucking on your tongue, and it's going to get really dry. Like, I literally played this out, you guys. <laughs> And I was like, and it's going to feel like I got cuts. And then tomorrow I'm not going to be able to talk. I got a visit, and then I won't be able to sleep. So then I have a visit on Thursday. Um, so I'll go there, and I'll be really tired, and I probably will be hope Because, man, you guys, I would trip at two, three days of being awake. I was one of those. Um, so then I was like, well, that's probably going to happen, you know? I was like, man, what if they just happened to you weigh me? And then, like, it was dominoes. I was like, man, that shit is not worth it. I played it out to the physical effects, to remembering how tired I felt, to every single thing you could think of. The dude was right around the corner when I called him. I said, don't come. I'm good. He was like, are you sure? I'm almost right here. I was like, dude, stop. I don't want it. And that was it. You know, that was really cool to be able to get through that. Um, you know, after a while, living living life like that. I got my kids home. You know, eventually they trusted me. I got my kids home. I got into a place. It was a lot of hard work. You guys, that was not easy. There were so many people that turned me down because I had evictions or I had really bad credit. Um, it was not easy. Um, I, you know, eventually got into a place and I'm a single mom. I didn't get any assistance either. Like that, that cash assistance, I wasn't able to get that. I got daycare assistance. You know, I got medical assistance. That's, that's a big help, but, um, I didn't get housing. I didn't get any of that. So here I was paying 650 a month for rent and I had my two kids and I was pregnant, you know, um, because I didn't need to stay by myself for a year because I knew everything. Well, I ended up pregnant, and my dude relapsed, and I stayed clean. And here I am with three kids, three different dads, doing it on my own. Man, I knew everything still. <laughs> but, 
But so I had this place and then I had gotten a job and I was like, had such a low self-esteem. I was like, man, nobody's going to hire me. Like they're going to see my record. I had this big gap in my um, work history. And even before that, I had just done serving, you know, so I was like, oh man, my negative self-talk got the best of me. Um, so I ended up working at this place for like 1075 an hour. Oh my gosh. Like budgeting. I remember like budgeting in my notebook. I was like super organized. I don't do that anymore. I don't know why it really helped, <laughs> but I had like this calendar of like when things were, when bills were due or whatever, because at the end of my budgeting, you guys, I had like $24 in my account and I dedicated it to coffee. Um, I did, <laughs> but like, that's where I was at, you know, recovering in the beginning was extremely hard. Like I, like I've come a long way. I live very comfortably now, but that's where I started. That is where I started. So when you guys are sitting here and you guys are thinking of how hard it is and whatever, like it is, it is hard. It is hard, but you push through it. I promise you it's worth it. Like, I promise you there's going to be days where you're, like, hungry. There's going to be days where you're going to the food pantry. You're going to be feeling like shit about yourself. Like, there's going to be days where you have to take the bus. Oh, my gosh, that was tough, too. I hated that so much. Um, but it's all part of the process, and it humbles you. You know, just because you're clean doesn't mean you're living the best life in the beginning. That's not how it is. Like, you, not everything is not all sparkles and rainbows and pink clouds. Like, it's still really, really hard. And now you got to deal with it sober and you never had that before and because when you got stressed out or anything you got to use and then you were good it's not like that you know um but after a while like I was working at this job for quite a while um maternity leave was hard I had to be gone from work for six weeks with no money that was really hard too um I had cars that kept breaking down on me um <laughs> that was super stressful for a while there I was rolling around in a jeep with no heat in the middle of winter that was hard in a newborn baby that was tough but I did that that's what I did um after a while, it was cool because when I was at this company um, at CSD, I uh, there was like an opportunity to like move up, and uh, somebody had like pushed me to go for it, and I was like, I can't do that or whatever, you know, I can't. Uh -uh. And then the the manager of the place had said something to me, and I was like, What? Like you guys think like I I can do that? Um, I applied for it and I had an admin role there and I was like whoa things really changed when that one little thing happened like it was so little but it was so huge um that's when I started to get some more faith in myself um I worked there for a while and then COVID hit oh, of course you know I worked there for like four years and then COVID hit and I didn't have a job anymore um and I was feeling so shitty um Mind you, I skipped a very important part. While I was there, I had made the decision to go to school, and that was one of my lifelong dreams, and I never thought I was going to get there. I psyched myself out over school over and over and over and over and over again, and that's another story I tell. I remember any time I'd think about school, I'd be like, man, if I go to school, I work full-time because I have to. You know, I'm going to child support none of that. I was like, I'm going to go to school, so I'll probably have to do a part-time, and then so my two-year will be a four-year, and then when I get that one done, then I'll have to do another one. It'll be another, oh, my gosh, I was like, I'm going to be, like, 40 years old by the time, and what's the point at that time? <laughs> no offense if we're 40 or older, um, <laughs> but I was just like, oh, I kept psyching myself out, you know, and then another year went by, and I was like, man, I should do that school thing again. And then I'd have the same conversation with myself. And then another year later, I did it again. And finally, I was like, man, if I would have done this when I first thought it, with all this complaining, I would have been halfway done. So I said, screw it. That's when my motto came in, don't think, just do. Unless it's some sketchy shit, think about it. But don't think, just do. So that's what I did. I moved forward. I did that. I got into school, and I started doing it. Man, that's when I started realizing chaos was like, whew, chaos, chaos has kept me clean now. Um, but it's crazy here. 
So I started doing school, I was working, um, then I had learned about my niece in the foster care system and uh, I've always wanted to do foster care. When I was a little girl, you asked me what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a social worker and I wanted to do foster care. Seven years old, that's what I wanted to do, that tells you what kind of life I lived. Um, and then I, but I had heard about my niece being in foster care and I was like, I promise you I'm going to come get you, like I'm going to get my foster care license and I applied for my foster care license and they were like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, but why? That was another thing that was really, was really motivating for me in recovery. Like, you can't tell me no. You can tell me no, but I'm going to be back <laughs> because it's something I really believe in, you know? Um, so I came back, and I was like, well, what do I do now? And they're like, what do you mean, what do you do now? I'm like, well, you told me no. Is there an appeal process? And they're like, well, yeah, because I had a neglect on my record from my kids. Um, and uh, so I ended up writing this. Uh, it's called a variance. And they were like, well, you also need character references. So I like, if you all know me personally, man, Facebook is life. So I went on Facebook and I was like, hey, any of these character references? Man, you guys, I had like over 20 character references and I was bawling each time I got one because people were like, Kathy did this and they were like, this is how she used to be and this is how she is now and oh, man, <laughs> that helped me so much. Um, and they approved me, I got my niece. I, got, I had a foster care license. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. Um, but so then, back to where I was at, I left CSD and when I started thinking about what I wanted to do, I was like, you know, filling all these job applications everywhere. It was like, nothing was like pleasing to me at all. So I had to really ask myself, and this, I do care coordination at F5, if you guys don't know. Um, but this is something I ask people I work with a lot, like, what are you passionate about? You know, and that's the conversation I had with myself at this time. Um, and everything I do in life, people I work with, the people, things I say to them, I don't say them to them if I haven't said it to myself. So that's where it started. What are you passionate about? And it was recovery. It's always been recovery. It's always been recovery. It's always been moms with their kids in CPS. And it's always been the indigenous factor. And I want to do all of them. <laughs> so I was like, man, what can I do? I ended up being referred over to Share House. I got to do a talking circle. I got to volunteer over there. That opened up a door, and somebody was like, hey, you want to do care coordination? And I was like, what's that? And they're like, recovery stuff. I was like, well, sure, whatever. Um, and then I did it, and wasn't a big fan of the place I was working at. So I was like, well, I'm going to go over here. And then I did some recovery coaching over here, and that was cool. Um, and then F5 popped up, and I was like, yeah. I want to work there. And it was cool because whether it was trickled down from the top or not, somebody was like, well, we need somebody indigenous in our building. Like, that's what we need. Like, there's such a need for it. Like, and I was like, oh, pick me, pick me, me, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, that was a cool the way it worked out because uh, I think that was in like the summer. And then I thought they were just pulling my chain because then I didn't hear anything about it for a long time. And then uh, I think it was like in December it rolled by and they're like, oh, we didn't even realize you sent in a resume. Come in. And then I was hired and then I worked at F5. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I love my job. Like recovery has brought me so many things and I never forget a single bit of it because I get to work with me every day. You know, each person I work with has me in them. I don't care if it's a big seven foot tall. I don't have any seven foot. Oh, close. Um, people on my caseload. But <laughs> I relate to every single person that comes in and it's all because of my recovery. It's all because of my past. It's all because of my addiction. I'm not ashamed of a single part of my story. Not any of it. Not even, not even the wrong I did to my kids. Even though it hurts to think about, even though all of that, even with my, my sister, I struggle with that one, you know, but Every single one of those things helps me today. You know, so many times we look at our addiction and we can be so shameful about it, whether it's because we're doing it to ourselves or whether it's the community out here creating a stigma on us. Like, break it. Oh my gosh, break it. I love when people tell me I can't do something because I'm like, watch me. I'm going to do it anyways, you know. Um, I'm so blessed in my life today. Like, 
I got a, I'm in a magazine today, guys. I opened it up. They sent it to me. There's a whole magazine article about me, and I was like, oh, Jizak. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I got a Habitat for Humanity home. Um, that was super cool, too. Like, I'm living in a brand new house. It wasn't given to me. I, people get a misconception about that. I still got to pay money and put it down. I still have a mortgage payment. I still have all of those things. But it's a brand new house that my kids get to be in, you know. So they wrote an article on me and um, talking about F5 and the stuff that I get to do here. And then, you know, I'm helping out my old coworker, who's my coworker now, Ben, doing uh, sober living homes. And that's cool, too. So walking along that, like, walking alongside him to do those things. Like, doors just keep opening. So, like, if you want it, you can have it. But, like, you can't just go through life and not have a purpose. Like, you need to sit down and have an honest conversation with yourself. Don't just go get a job because it pays really good money. Because then you're going to get tired of it. You're going to get bored. You're going to get burnt out. Like, you have to think what you want to do and you turn it into passion. I don't care what it is. You know, my sponsor, oh, I love my sponsor. Like, she says her passion is to make people feel good about themselves, right? She does hair. <laughs> She's a killer at it, you know? She's awesome. Whatever it is, helping animals, help doing this, like whatever it is, your job should be your passion because then you'll never get bored. And the other key that I would say um, has gone a long way for me is never stop creating goals. That's where the chaotic Kathy comes into play because I have one goal, and even like like it was school, like I finally graduated with my associate's degree. I'm working on my bachelor's. Taking a little break, life got a little crazy. Um, but I always have a goal, so it was school, and school's cool, you know, whatever, um, once you get used to it, but then you get used to it and it becomes, you can become complacent, even in that. So you gotta have another goal, like in another area of life, you know? Um, so then I have like, like my job stuff, or when I'm doing like sweat lodge, or when I'm going to programs, and I'm taking on sponsees, and I'm, um, man, I do so many things. I feel like I can't name them, but I do so many things, so I'm always moving. I never stay still. <laughs> Um, because complacency will eat you alive. If you have a routine and you just get up every day and you go to work and you go to this meeting and then like you're checking the boxes like recovery, I'm eating, I'm sleeping, I'm making money, I'm paying my bills. Like where is life? That's what we need to like go around, right? But find something to fill the gaps in that. Um, make your goals, cross them off like a to-do list because otherwise you won't have physical proof. Like like, if it's not in front of you, well, you'll feel like you never did it. Like, you have to write your accomplishments down. Um, and then talk about them. I talk, I say that all the time, like, recover out loud. Like, why not? Why not recover out loud? Why not tell people all the bullshit you've been through? And then why not talk about all the good things? Like, don't be all, like, prideful and egotistical or whatever. But, like, I had a counselor that told me one time, if it's yours, take it. Take it. If it's yours, take it and tell people about it. Like, I'm not gonna like blow it up in your face, but like, yeah, I did that. I have a degree now. I bought a car in cash <laughs> one time and it was a nice car. Still got it, you know? Um, I have my kids I, and I, adopt, I adopted them. I have two of them, actually, I have five. <laughs> I have three biological kids. I fostered my niece and then her sister came in and they raise hell with me all the time and it's great because they're just like me when I was a kid and I fight them and ah. Now I have five kids and I got to adopt two of them. You know, I'm going to school. I'm doing all the things that I ever wanted to do when I was little. I did. And when people told me I couldn't do it, I said, watch me do it anyway. So I love when people are like, I want to be an LADC, but I got a record. So what? Because you're the best one in the room to be able to be working with people like you because they are you. You know what I mean? I could keep going, but that's all I got for now. <laughs>